following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. So today, we're going to be talking about a guy who grew up and he had everything going for him. Everything was turning up his way. As a young man, he he trained in one of the greatest religious groups of his time. Not only that, he was mentored by one of the greatest leaders in that religious group of his time, a master. Some would say he grew up as a young man through that and he learned all of this stuff, but he also was a man that ended up coming along, and as he came along, he committed many atrocities. There were so many things that he did that we would look at and go, that is heartbreaking, and, and it, how does this happen? And of course, you all know I'm talking about this guy. There we go. I was thinking about how do, how do I dive into Paul and Saul? How do we talk about who Paul is? And I was like, well, I mean, Paul, Paul's story in Acts is a, a redemption arc. It's a story of who he was and what he becomes. And I thought, what is, what is a redemption arc that I can compare it to across generations? And I looked at, like, I literally Googled best redemption arcs. And all of them are like brand new TV shows, or things that I just had no clue what they were, but Darth Vader popped up in all of them. And I figured, I was like, all right, I can be a little bit nerdy one Sunday. But our cinema, our literature, all of these things build on some of these great redemption arcs. And spoiler alert, if you've never seen Star Wars, first of all, I'm available for pastoral counseling. We can talk afterwards. But you have this guy, Anakin. Anakin has it all going for him. He hears the whispers of the enemy of the emperor, and he goes and he, he takes power. And in taking power, everything becomes twisted, and he begins persecuting the people he said he was going to protect. And he is a horrible, terrible man. But his son sees good in him. And so he sees good, and you know he doesn't even know he's his son. But when he finds out, you know Luke decides, I'm going to help save my father. And there's this brilliant moment that as I got older, I started recognizing what was happening, that here the emperor is killing Luke. And he says, I will not raise, you know, my lightsaber against my father. And so Darth Vader's like, yeet, and throws the emperor just into the Death Star. But the redemption arc is then at the end, as Luke is dragging out his father, he says, take my mask off. I want to see you with my own eyes. It's silly, it's foolish, it's Star Wars. But it is a powerful redemption arc. That the man who was evil incarnate. Now it's funny because my wife got into Star Wars because of me. She had seen it, but she she like, I've, it's taken me 12 years to get us to this point. But it's funny because she goes, Darth Vader isn't that scary. I'm like, he haunted my nightmares. We have this redemption arc 
built into what I would say is one of the greatest tales of myth and folklore of our generations. And here in the story of Paul, we get a redemption arc. That Paul begins as this man that he even says, he will write of himself, he's, I was Pharisee of Pharisees. He goes, listen, I trained under Gamaliel, right? That was his Obi-Wan. I trained under this guy. You, know, you had a religious law, I kept it. Can we just pause for a second and go, thank you, Lord, for the rain. Like, this is just, I am thinking about how I'm going to get back to my car later, but this is just such a blessing that this is coming down right now. <sighs> Amen. But so he, he gives his religious bona fides several times, right? He says, this is who I am. But who he starts out as is a man who is persecuting the followers of Jesus. And what I want to do today is we go through this story of Paul, Saul to Paul, that redemption arc that happens. I want to look at some of the characters and how these characters teach us things about Jesus and his church and who he is. That even as we look at the story of Paul, it actually is teaching us about Jesus. So I want to start off talking about a guy named Stephen. So the beginning of our reading today talked about how Stephen was stoned to death and Paul stood there approving. So I want to read to you real quick from Acts chapter 6. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, so Hellenists is the Greeks, right? So a, a complaint arose by the Hellenists against the Hebrews. So these would be the Jewish folks. So just get this in your mind, right? The church is beginning. And now these folks who have grown up under Jewish law, who have grown up memorizing the Torah, who have grown up with all of these things, are seeing that all of these pagans keep joining in. Exactly, they just keep coming. They keep showing up. And they're kind of going, no, you've got to follow the rules. And they're like, well, what do you mean? So here's what happens. A complaint arose by the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, so these would be the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word." And what they said, the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permanus, and Nicholas, a proselytite of Antioch. Then we skip ahead to verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So Stephen is chosen out of the disciples out of the church to be, here's a man who's following after God. So much so, we're going to hand the purse over to him to make sure the widows and orphans are taken care of. Because the apostles are preaching, we need someone to be carrying out this duty to make sure it's happening fairly into everyone. 
Now, in between what happens between um, 6 and where we're about to go in, uh, I think it's in 7 here. Yeah. Is Stephen is brought before the council and he begins preaching. And he's preaching the gospel, he's preaching the law, he's doing a great job. But the leaders in Jerusalem, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, get so upset they take him out and stone him. And here's what happens. Then they cast him out of the city, Stephen, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So falling asleep here being, falling asleep in Christ, he he dies. So Stephen is taken out. He is stoned. And in the midst of being stoned, there was a young man named Saul who stood by approvingly. Now it's interesting here, what we hear is that they laid their garments at Saul's feet. Well, that's kind of a a weird thing to share, so what's that about? Well, think about it. When someone gets in a fight, they're the people who are fighting, and they're the people who have egged it on, right? And sometimes the folks who have egged it on are going to stand back. They're like, well, I don't want to be in the fight. I just want my goal to be accomplished. So here's Saul, who has egged on this stoning of Stephen, and he stands back. And so the guys are, you know, getting taking their cloaks off, so they've got their good throwing arm, and laying their cloaks at Saul's feet, signifying this is the guy who, who pushed us towards this. And the first promise we see in the story of Saul and his redemption arc is the darkest moment. And that promise, though, is Jesus is faithful even unto death. That as we see the beginning of the story of Saul, that it begins with the death of Stephen, with the stoning of a good man. And the stoning of Stephen always frustrates me because it wasn't like he was going out and preaching against society. He was going out and and trying to tear down religion. This was the guy who was feeding the widows and orphans. And they thought he's such a rabble rouser because he's feeding the widows and orphans. But when he's called up, he trusts the promises of Jesus even unto death. That if you read through that chapter 7, what he preaches, he doesn't pull any punches. But he delivers the gospel. And notice what he says. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Jesus is faithful even unto death. So much so that when Stephen is being stoned, as he is dying, he is not screaming out and looking at these people and saying, they're wrong, look at these horrible people, look, you know, they're so different than me, they're the other, they're all these. No, he goes, Lord, receive my spirit and forgive them. Stephen trusted the faithfulness of Jesus not only unto death, but unto forgiveness of the people who were killing him. He honors the Savior in the same way the Savior worked on the cross. That when he looked down and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus is faithful even unto death. Now let's talk a little bit about Paul. 
At this point, he's Saul. So the beginning of chapter 8, verse 1 here. And Saul approved of his execution. And there were those that day, on that day, and a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And then we jump ahead to chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Paul is now the leader of this persecution against the church. He is the man who is coming against them. And as he is leading it, he is breathing threats. He is ravaging the church. He is destroying it. He is going into homes and bringing people out bound to return them to the high priests in Jerusalem for what we have to assume is either imprisonment or execution. And it says he's persecuting, or he wants to go to Damascus to do this too, a little further up the road, to see if he could find any followers of the way. So at the beginning, Christianity is just simply called the way. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So they just said, we're followers of the way. So he goes to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, says, write me letters so that I can go to the synagogues in Damascus so that if there are any there following the way, I can bring them bound back here so we can persecute them here. And as he goes to Damascus, this happens. Now when he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone on him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? Lord, he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. Notice Paul, very proud of himself, getting these letters, heads to Damascus, and Jesus stops him on the road. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you know what Saul realizes immediately? He knows who this is. Who are you, Lord? Right? This isn't some like, what voice is this? And I also like, whenever Jesus shows up like this, or an angel shows up like this, they go, do not be afraid. And I love this moment where Jesus is like, no, you probably need to be afraid. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul doesn't really answer. He just says, Lord, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus who you persecute. And notice that turn of phrase. I love that because you know what that says about Jesus? His church is a part of who he is. He's not saying, you are persecuting my followers. You are persecuting the members of this congregation. He goes, no, you are persecuting me. He looks at his children and says, they are in me. So as you persecute them, you persecute me. He says, get up and go into town. And here we see in the redemption arc of Paul a very deep truth of Jesus. 
which is that he turns enemies into friends. Scriptures will say, I am a friend of God. You have called me friend. No longer am I far away. No longer am I away, right? It's not like this random encounter with the Lord. It's not like this, oh, you know, who's this guy? Oh, yeah, he's kind of an acquaintance. No, Jesus looks at us and says, you're my friend. And here in this moment, he stands in the road to Damascus. He calls out to Saul, says, why are you persecuting me? And the point isn't to rain heavenly fire on him, which is what he deserves. But instead, the Lord looks and says, listen, I'm going to take those things that you've been using to persecute my church, and I'm going to turn them into the benefit of my church. I will take you who are my enemy." and make you my friend. The promise of Jesus we see in this redemption arc is he doesn't leave people behind. He is in the business of taking his enemies and turning them into friends. Then we run into this guy, Ananias. Right, Every good redemption arc doesn't only have the main character. It has those around him who help. Right, Stephen is this instigating incident, but Ananias is the one who helps. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. So you have the Lord show up to Ananias, this man who is following the way. He is a Christian. And notice the difference here. When we read earlier, Jesus shows up to Saul. Lord, who are you? Fear drops down immediately. He shows up to Ananias. Ananias is like, what up? What do you need from me, Lord? I'm here. And he goes, go to Straight Street. There's this guy named Saul. And he goes, Lord, not that. Right? I hear you, but let me tell, Lord, you might, you might have missed it. Let me tell, I love whenever someone tells God something like, oh, okay, good idea. But here's what I've heard. This is that guy. Remember, Lord, Stephen's with you now. Just go check on him. Ask him about this dude, Saul. So he says this. Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings. And the children of Israel, for I'll show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias says, Lord, this is a bad guy. You don't want him. Not this dude. And Jesus says, okay, go. And it's a command. An imperative. Go now. I didn't ask you. Go. But then I love that Jesus has a little bit of, like, compassion. I mean, he has a lot of compassion. But here in this moment with Ananias, he has compassion to go, listen, I'm going to use him. By the way, he's also going to suffer, so, like, don't, you know. But he goes, listen, this is, I've decided who this guy's going to be. You don't decide who he is. I've decided who he'll be. So Go. So Ananias departed and entered the house. 
And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. So Ananias is scared. He's worried. You don't know who this guy is. But when the Lord says go, he goes, all right. Now I'm telling you, I would love to think that if the Lord shows up to me in a vision and says, go do this, I'm going to be the guy who says, Lord, I heard you. I'm a Lutheran, so I'm skeptical it's you. But, you know, I heard you, so I'm going to go. But boy, do I identify with Ananias. Lord, are you sure? Are you sure? But he is faithful that when he shows up, he lays hands on Saul. Which is one of the most powerful things we see in the book of Acts. Laying on of hands is a fascinating idea. Because for us, it's very simple, right? You reach out and you put a hand on somebody. But when we remember that God is the creator of both the physical and the spiritual, the laying on of hands is saying, Lord, I... I am giving what you have given me to this person. I will place my hands on them and ask for a blessing that they can feel and understand what you have done. And so he lays his hands on Saul and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here comes Ananias, a man who will show up in one section of Scripture for about 10 verses, and he does one of the most powerful things in all of the New Testament behind the works of Jesus, outside of what happens in the Gospels. In the New Testament, what Ananias does here through the work of the Lord is one of the most powerful things because what he does is he says, Lord, all right, I'm nervous, but you said go, so I go. And when I go, he stands there and he prays over Saul. And he says, you're going to have the Holy Spirit and I'm going to heal your eyesight. And thus began the missionary journeys of one of the greatest church planters, if not the greatest church planter in the history of the church. In Ananias, we see when Jesus says go, you're not alone. It's not that Ananias has some holy hands that he's just holding in reserve. And then when Jesus says, all right, I need you, he goes, all right, you gave me the hands, here I go. No. He says, Lord, I trust you, you're using me. And you know what I love about this? Jesus could have easily shown up in power and might, said, all right, go to Damascus and I'll show up there. And he could have shown up in all of his glory to burn away the pain to give the Holy Spirit to Saul and instead he says one of my people's going to meet you I'm going to send my folks out that when Jesus says go to Ananias what he is saying is when you go you go with me you don't got to fear this man Saul because I'm in charge he's going to become one of my greatest tools and so when I say go you go with me, you go lay your hands on him. 
and my power goes with you. I don't have to show up and descend from heaven to do this to Paul because I'm already there, because I'm sending you. He goes and is baptized. I love this because it's the Holy Spirit came upon him, and it is one of these clear pictures of how God redeems people. He sends the Spirit to them. And in that baptism, it locks in that Holy Spirit. And it says, in this moment, in simple water and the Word of God, the Holy Spirit indwells and is yours and is your gift. Now go. And so we see through this story of Saul becoming Paul, that Jesus is faithful unto death, that the instigating incident here of Stephen's death is a powerful thing because Stephen is not afraid. He stands and looks at the men who will stone him. He sees Saul in his eyesight and he says, Lord, forgive them. Be with me. That when Saul is walking on the road to Damascus with a letter to persecute the church in Damascus to pull people out of their homes, to bring them back to Jerusalem for imprisonment or execution. Instead of choosing the greatest among his disciples, he says, watch what I can do with someone who hates me. Watch the redemption I can work. That he says, my goal is to take enemies and make them friends. And then he looks at his people and says, listen, you're a part of this story. When I say go, you don't go alone. That the redemption arc of Saul is sealed as he becomes Paul by the work of God's church here on earth. A saint who goes, Lord, I'm not so sure about this. Which I love because that's me. But when he says go... He goes with us. I love this story. Because Saul to Paul does not make Paul perfect. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to be the brash young man who calls out Peter. Right Here's Saul who meets Jesus for like half a second on the road to Damascus. And within several chapters is looking at Peter. Right on this rock, I will build my church, right? You know, says it to Peter. You confessed it. Here we go. Peter being the leader, but I love it because Peter's an idiot. And so God, like, brings Paul along to be like, hey, keep Peter in line, right? Like, you know, I know, we all know, right? So within chapters, he is looking at Peter and going, bro, you're doing this Christianity thing wrong. Listen, if I'm Peter, I'm being like, you murdered us. Like, you got no room to talk, man. But here, Jesus uses Paul to call out Peter because he is neglecting and stepping away from the Gentiles. That within chapters, he uses Paul to call out what has to be one of the greatest leaders of the church at that time and reorient him back to the mission of God. But you know what? Paul will be brash. He will be a fool. He ends up separating from one of his traveling partners at one point because they just can't get along. If that doesn't sound like the church, I don't know what does. 
But the beauty and the good news of this redemption arc for us is it is a story that happened that still has significance for us today. Because Jesus is still faithful unto death. You and I live in a country where that doesn't have to be a front worry in our minds. But we can be praying for our brothers and sisters around the globe where that is true. Where they are looking that Jesus is literally being faithful unto death as they stand against persecution. But for us, I think it's healthy for us to step back and go, maybe my problem is not such a big deal. Because my God is faithful unto death. Or maybe my problem is a big deal. And I have to soberly step back and go, my God is faithful unto death. Jesus is still in the business of making his enemies his friends. And if we are his followers and his servants, no servant is greater than his master. So when I say the word enemy, I want you to think of who shows up in your mind. Be that someone close by, someone far away. What I don't want you to do is immediately go to like, you know, oh, terrorists, someone we got to fight. No, I want you to think of the person who's become the enemy in your mind. Be they someone at work, be they someone caricatured in the media, be they anything, but that person who's become your enemy to look and say, you know what the Lord says to do with that? Pray for them. And not like hellfire. Pray for them. Because you know what he does? He takes enemies and turns them in to family members. Because the hardest thing for us to do is to look and say, I disagree so strongly with everything that person's about. And what my God tells me to do is to pray for them because he's in the business of taking enemies and turning them into friends. Be that the enemy next door, the enemy far away. And you know what the problem is? The problem is that third promise. He says, go. That when he's going to turn enemies into friends, he wants to use you to do it. He wants to use me to do it. He wants to show up in neighborhoods, in homes, in all kinds of places. And he wants us to look around and we go, Lord, you know what those people have done to your church. He goes, yep. Pray for them. Go. Take the good news with you. Lay hands on. Scriptures will tell us, pray for the prosperity of your city. For when your city prospers, you prosper. And you know where they're supposed to pray that? When they're in captivity. This isn't like they're in Jerusalem saying, oh yeah, let's pray for the, the prosperity of Jerusalem. No, the Lord tells them, pray for the prosperity of your city where you have been dragged out, where you are living amongst the Gentiles. For when your city prospers, you prosper. That when Jesus says, go and I will not leave you alone, he doesn't only say that to Ananias, he's saying that to us still. 
that he's calling us to be a part of that plan. Because here's the truth. We all have a redemption arc. We all were once the enemies of God. Now, some of us, our redemption arc started in infancy, baptized as babies, and the Lord has been working our way through. Some of us, it may have started a little later on as we came to knowledge of the Lord later in life. But wherever we are, that ark is taking us on a redemptive path, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us. That when we look and say Jesus is faithful unto death, that's because of his death for us starts it all. When we look and say Jesus takes enemies and makes them friends, we know that because we are living proof that when we were enemies of God at just the right time while we were still sinners, not while we were still perfect, not while we were still trying to work it out, not on the best day of our lives. No, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So when he makes enemies friends, number one in line. But the beauty of becoming a friend of God is he says, listen, you're in. You're playing the game. You don't ride the bench. I'm calling you to go. But here's the beauty of it. When you go, I am right there with you. Look at Ananias. When he laid hands on people, specifically here, when he laid hands on Saul, that wasn't his power. That was the gift of the Lord working through him. The redemption arc of Saul to Paul gives us hope even today. That God is still faithful unto death. That Jesus is still making enemies friends. And that he's still telling us to go in his power. Let's pray. Lord, send us. We ask that you would remind us over and over that when we lose sight of the promise, that we remember that you are faithful up until the very point where you call us home. And then we live knowing in your faithfulness at that point the beauty of who you are. Lord, for those people we consider enemies in our lives, teach us to pray for them. Teach us to see them through your eyes. And Lord, let us hear the word go. And Lord, the beauty is you have had us where you need us. In the places we work, in the places we live in schools, Lord, in everything in between. Teach us to follow you. Pray this on your son, Jesus' name. Amen.